Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. You are stuck with just me this week. I'm going to share a case study with you of a vehicle that completely kicked my butt and I went in the wrong direction for a large period of time. But you know what? Um, Honestly, these are the best vehicles. I mean, I don't want them every day all the time or I wouldn't make any money, Uh, but this is where you grow the most, right? The most difficult challenges that you face Uh, whether it be on your job or just in life in general, uh, that's where you're going to grow, right? You're not going to grow when you're comfortable, when you're knocking them out of the park because you've seen that problem uh, 50 times before and you don't really gain anything out of that. Uh, It's the ones that really challenge you and push you. And of course, cars do that a lot, right? Cars are very challenging to work on, to diagnose correctly nowadays, I I feel. And I don't know that's a good thing, right? Because it limits the amount of people that are able to do it effectively and efficiently, which means you can command a higher price if you are able to do it. But I think to get there, at least for someone like myself, (laughs) I got to get my butt kicked plenty uh, to get through some of these. But you learn a lot. And I did learn a lot on this one. And so that's why I want to share it with everybody. So anyways, uh, what we're dealing with is a 2017 Acura MDX with a 3.5 liter V6. This one is direct injection. Uh, Honda used this 3.5 liter V6 for a number of years in a number of vehicles. They were not all GDI vehicles. This one is, and that does play into the issue that we're dealing with on this one. Technician at a shop that I service. I do programming and diagnostics quite a bit for this shop. I've dealt with this technician in particular a few times. Great guy. Um, he's actually from Vietnam and he worked for a company over in Vietnam that did uh, circuit board assembly. I think it was, I don't know exactly what it was, but anyways, he's really, really good at uh, the soldering of board level components like processors and all the tiny little solder connections that you got to make on a board. And which is really cool. He doesn't necessarily have the knowledge of what components do what in an automotive application. But if I need something like, you know, the 128 leg processor, I'm having trouble getting this thing from one place to another. Uh, He's actually helped me out quite a bit with this and really knowledgeable on this stuff. Um, It's always cool to talk to uh, guys or gals in these shops and see what everybody is knowledgeable on. You know, everybody's got their specialty. But anyways, um, you know, diagnostics on the vehicles themselves, you know, not really his thing. He's more of a parts changer. He does body work. Anyways, he's got a vehicle that his brother was working on and it's got some troubles and he's tried to go through it and he hasn't been able to figure out exactly what's going on with it. And it's not his brother's actual vehicle. His brother, I guess, does remote start installations out of his garage. And this is a customer of his brother's. 
And he did install a remote start on this thing. And according to what he says, this thing drove fine for two weeks. And then it basically became not drivable. Uh, It will start, it will idle, uh, but all of the dash lights are on the dash, like all of them are on and uh, you can't rev it up. You can't really drive it. It just falls flat on its face. And he looked at a few things and he wasn't able to figure out what's going on. And of course, you know, I have, uh, if you can picture me rolling my eyes when he says his brother installs remote starts, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Um, I, I take a lot of these remote starts out of vehicles just to fix the issues. Um, any aftermarket device, remote start or alarm system or whatever it might be that's tied into a vehicle network system just i tell shops i tell people get these out of here i've had people ask me do you install remote starts no i do not install remote starts i take them out of vehicles to fix problems because invariably they always cause problems of course it gets really cold here in the winter time in minnesota so people want them okay i get it Um, i've activated a few factory remote starts right a vehicle that came with it as an option but it wasn't activated or they didn't have the correct key i've done that i'm fine with that but aftermarket remote starts no i tell people not to do them but anyways they still do we still run across this but that's what his brother does and that's what his brother did on this vehicle is install the remote start and so immediately that's where my mind's going uh, to what's going on with this thing Again, and it worked for two weeks after the install is what I was told. And he was like, I'm 100% sure on this. It wasn't immediately after the install. Okay, whatever. So I go to the vehicle. It's out in the parking lot. And I hook up my scan tool. And I'm not able to auto ID the vehicle, which on a 2017 Acura, I should be able to. I should be able to pull up the vehicle information just by connecting to it. I shouldn't have to enter it manually. I did on this one, which is assigned to me a lot of the times that I don't have communication with one or more modules in the vehicle. Well, it turns out after I manually enter the VIN number and I go through a full vehicle scan, I've only got communication with a couple modules on the entire vehicle, which is obviously a problem. And I look over and he actually had the glove box for this vehicle out and that's where the remote start was installed and i could see the remote start up in there that in my opinion was just hacked into the wires um, into whatever circuits they needed to be for the remote start um so at this point i am not even going to do any tests i tell him hey man listen i don't have communication with a lot of the modules on this vehicle you got that remote start in there take that out of there and if that fixes your problem i'm not even i'm not even going to charge you anything on this just we can move on and just remove it and stop putting these in cars or tell your brother stop putting these in cars um but pull it out of there and if there's still the same issue after you remove that thing call me and i'll look further into this but i don't even want to waste my time when i'm pretty sure uh taking this thing out of here is going to fix the problem with the vehicle Okay, so he calls me back a few days later. He says he removed it completely from the vehicle, the remote start, and it's still doing the same thing. Lights are on, can't do anything besides start the vehicle and run it at an idle. Okay, so I come back and I hook up the scan tool and I do the same thing. I try to auto ID it, it won't. And I did try with another scan tool. I tried the top down and the autel on this and it was the same result. So I knew it wasn't a scan tool issue. Couldn't auto ID it. Couldn't talk to 
most of the modules on the vehicles, right? This is a 2017. Um, it's definitely got more than two modules on there. And if you have the you know, topology map or you watch the modules that the scan tool is trying to communicate with, um, Honda is probably not the greatest example because aftermarket scan tools will just kind of give you every possible module that a Honda could have ever, it seems, and they'll go through all of them. Um, but I know that there's more than two modules and I'm missing some critical modules um, that I should be able to talk to, like the PCM, for instance, right? Now, it does start and run, um, but I'm missing communication. So um, <laughs> to... To paint a picture here of me in the moment, I was actually on the phone with Scott Shotton when I was sitting in the vehicle uh, coming back to look at it. And so I'm looking at the scan tool and I pulled up a diagram because I wanted to understand the configuration. Like, how is this network set up? How does my scan tool talk to the car? Again, because it did start, it did run. So the PCM is online, the PCM is communicating with the anti-theft module, right, to detect there's a key in the car, and but I'm not able to talk to anything. How is this thing set up? And I see that um, there's a gateway module, or it's a CAN gateway module, which is really just a buffer between the scan tool and pretty much the rest of the vehicle. Uh, there's a couple single wire networks coming off of the DLC that go to some other modules, but most of the vehicle goes through this CAN gateway module. And again, I'm on the phone with Scott, totally unrelated conversation. We're talking about something else. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, what can I check while I'm on the phone with somebody uh, that would require a limited brain power in order to do um, because I want to keep testing and just keep <laughs> talking on the phone, which I don't know, probably isn't the best way to go. But I'm looking and I see that there is a fuse that feeds the CAN gateway module. I'm like, okay, I can check a fuse while I'm on the phone with Scott. I can do this. I can make, even with my limited brain power, I can make this happen. So it happens to be fuse 21, which is a seven and a half amp, and it's under the driver's side of the dash and the fuse panel. So I take a look while I'm on the phone and I see, oh, there's no fuse there. And I double check the placement that I had the right number and it was the right fuse box, all that stuff. And you could actually see a giveaway a lot of the time. Not always. This can be deceiving, but a giveaway a lot of the times. If you look into the two female spots for where the fuse would go, if they both have terminals, they both have actual pins and it's not just one uh, the fuse probably should go in there. Not, again, not 100%, but a lot of the times, especially if it's the fuse that feeds a component that I'm suspecting, <laughs> um, let's put a fuse in there and see what happens. So I pop a 7.5 amp in there. And while I have communication with the vehicle, a lot of the lights go away on the dash, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And I have communication with all of the modules on the vehicle. Okay, great. Did we fix this thing? Is that it? Um, I did it even while I was on the phone with somebody. Um, not, not quite. Um, what I find is now, again, I have communication with all my modules and somebody must have pulled this fuse while trying to fix this thing. Or I, I, I don't know exactly why the fuse was taken out. I, I talked about this on the last episode. I don't understand the mindset of somebody who pulls a fuse out, creates a problem, but doesn't put it back. Like, okay, that it gave you more problems than you had before. Maybe put that thing back and <laughs> start from scratch, but it never seems to happen. I've run into this all the time where fuses are missing. 
Um, it seems to happen on a weekly basis. So I don't get it, but it is what it is. So I always check for that. <laughs> Not only is the fuse good, but is the fuse there? Um, anyways, I can talk to my modules, but I still have codes in my PCM. And at least now we're getting a little bit more on track because this thing still will only idle. And if you try to rev it up, you try to put it into gear, you try to drive it, it just falls on its face. Uh, there's absolutely no power. And I have two codes that come immediately back with a running engine in the PCM. This is a P0087, which is fuel rail pressure too low. A lot of us have seen this code on GDI vehicles quite a bit. And a P0627, which is fuel pump control system malfunction. All right. And both of these codes set, again, as long as you're running the engine. Uh, key on engine off, they don't set. But with the engine started, both of these codes set. And that would correlate to the issue that we're having with low power and not able to drive the vehicle, uh, meaning that there's a low fuel pressure in the system. Now, it does run. And you can sit there and idle it for... I mean, I did for at least a half hour, no issues there, but trying to accelerate or trying to drive the vehicle, uh, you're unable to do that. So let's figure out what these codes mean, where to go with this, and uh, we can get a diagnosis for this guy. Uh, first thing I want to do is look at the fuel pressure through the scan tool. Um, this vehicle does not have a low side fuel pressure sensor. Some GDIs do. It does have a rail pressure sensor, and I can't think of a GDI vehicle that doesn't have a rail or high side pressure sensor, but we'll take a look at it in the scan tool. Uh, I did want to make a note here. The data PIDs on this Honda, maybe if you're familiar with Hondas, these aren't weird, but they were weird to me. I didn't understand the meaning uh, until I, I really had to look at it to understand which data PID meant what. Um, but there is a direct injection fuel system. That's what the data pit says. Direct injection fuel system. That is your desired fuel pressure. That's what the computer wants the rail pressure to be. And then there's a data pit that says fuel pressure from PF sensor. Okay. Fuel pressure from PF sensor. That's your actual rail pressure. That's what the pressure actually is on the high side of the system in the rail for the GDI uh, side of the fuel system. Okay. So anyways, I won't reference those exact data pits again. I'll just say desired and actual because those are the ones that make sense to me. What does the computer want? What's it actually at? All right. Um, I was looking at the actual with the engine running and it's about 90 PSI and the desired is actually similar. Um, it's right around there, pretty close to what the actual is, which definitely seems low. I should probably say you don't ever see that uh, desired fuel pressure on the high side of a running GDI system unless there's a fault, which of course there is. Um, so let me clear out these codes here and see what happens. Um, so I clear out the codes. The actual fuel pressure stays about where what I saw it, about 90 PSI or so, a little bit less. The desired, however, does jump up to over 500 PSI which is what I would expect, which you want to see out of a GDI vehicle, right? That desired pressure is going to change uh, depending on a lot of factors. But I would say, you know, a minimum of 500 PSI in most of these vehicles uh, would be a pretty common number to see. And it'll go up from there. And that's where it is until the code sets. As soon as the codes, I should say the code set, uh, this drops back down to below 90 and the actual never did change. So I 
did have low fuel pressure on the high side. Um, but once the code sets, it's uh, the desired is actually down below that point as well. Some sort of default strategy, I'm assuming. But anyways, at least I have something to go after here. Let's figure out why the fuel pressure is low. Let's figure out why these codes are setting. All right, I'm going to read up on these codes a little bit more. Uh, you know, again, I'm pretty familiar with the P0087. It's just saying that actual pressure in the rail does not match the desired pressure. Um, and that's we've seen this code in a lot of other GDI vehicles. Uh, I'm not so familiar on the P0627, which says fuel pump control system malfunction. I don't really know a whole lot about that code. Um, haven't dealt with it, especially specifically uh, in regards to a Honda or Acura. Um, you know, does one of these codes set the other? Do they both set at the same time? What's the relationship between these two codes? Now, in the P0087 DTC, there is a troubleshooting section. And within there... Um, there is a bullet point that says if any of the following DTCs are set, diagnose them first, then recheck for a P0087. All right. And, and we see this with a lot of diagnostic trouble codes. And if you're not paying attention to it, I definitely would because there are codes that will uh, potentially supersede other codes or there are codes that you should ignore until you fix another problem, right? It's like trying to chase a rich or lean code when you have a engine timing code, right? Fix the engine timing code first, and then you can deal with the lean or rich code, and odds are it'll probably take care of it. And that's what I'm kind of looking for here because these codes set at the same time. Which one do I chase first? Is one the result of another is my mindset here. And of course, I'm trying to rationalize why I took the path that I took. So just remember that I'm trying to validate the time that I spent on this vehicle as I'm reading this to you. Um, one of the codes in this section for P0087, low rail side pressure, says P0627. Okay, it says to deal with this code first, diagnose this code first before you go any further with a P0087. Okay, and I have that code. So let's go with that code. And that's what I did. So in the description for this code, it lays out the system fairly nicely, although there is more information on this uh, fuel pump control module elsewhere in the service information that I'll bring up later. But they do a fairly good job of it within the code. They give you a little diagram of the circuit and how it's set up. And really all this is, is there is a fuel pump driver module for the low side pump, which is in the tank. And this fuel pump control module is going to control the speed of the low side pump to control low side pressure. And it doesn't have a whole lot of settings. There's a total of three different speeds that it can run this pump at. And, but it is going to vary the pressure on the low side of the system, which in turn feeds the high side of the system. And and it makes sense why a problem here would potentially give us uh, low high side pressure. Uh, this fuel pump driver module is located inside of the vehicle. Uh, it's behind the trim panel in the left rear of the vehicle. And this is an SUV. So you pull a plastic panel back and it's about the size of your palm, small module, six wires going to it. Uh, the code states this P0627 that the fuel pump control module monitors the voltage applied to the fuel pump in response to the duty cycle from the PCM. Okay, so voltage applied 
to the low side pump, right? And that's what this module does. It drives the low side pump. And it's according to this code, it's going to monitor that voltage. When the voltage applied to the pump is normal, and it doesn't say what that is, the fuel pump module outputs a high diagnostic signal. And when the voltage applied to the fuel pump is abnormal, again, doesn't specify what that is, the module put outputs a low signal on the diagnostic circuit, okay? It then says the PCM monitors the diagnostic circuit when the engine is running. If the diagnostic circuit is low for a set time, a P0627 is set. All right, so what it's saying here is there's some sort of diagnostic circuit between the fuel pump control driver module and the PCM, and when the circuit is low for a period of time, we get the 627. If it's high, we shouldn't have this P0627 set, but it is an indication by the fuel pump driver module that something is wrong, according to this code, with the voltage being applied to the fuel pump. Okay, that's all it says in this brief description here. So I want to take a little closer look at the circuitry to this driver module. How am I going to assess it? What am I going to look at? This has six wires. We have a power and a ground that feed the module, right? So power, ground, that's easy enough to check at the headlight bulb. I did that. We are good on both. Brightly light, a headlight bulb, power and ground to the module. There's also a power and ground to the fuel pump, right? So the driver module is going to control both the power and ground side to the fuel pump. So I checked this as well. And this was almost battery voltage on the power side and a full ground on the ground side to the fuel pump. And I even put an amp clamp around here and was pulling about eight amps by the fuel pump. I don't know what's good right off the top of my head, but that seems like a good low side fuel pump number for a lot of fuel pumps that I've looked at. Um, but power and ground appear to be fully applied to this pump. Okay. Well, what are the other two circuits involved here? Because there are two other wires on here. Um, and this code, again, continually sets. So what's happening here? There is a gray wire, and this is that diagnostic wire, right? This is an indication by the fuel pump driver module that there is some issue, and it's going to leave that circuit at a low voltage and the PCM is going to respond by setting this P0627 that we have. The other circuit is a pink wire, which is a duty cycle wire or control wire from the PCM to the fuel pump driver module to tell it spin the fuel pump this fast, right? So it's going to change the duty cycle on this wire to control the output of the low side fuel pump, right? So we got Power and ground to the module, power and ground to the pump. We have a driver circuit or a duty cycle circuit from the PCM to the driver module. And then we have a diagnostic circuit from the fuel pump driver module to the PCM. Very similar to old Ford uh, fuel pump control modules. Uh, they had the FPM and the FPC circuits, fuel pump control and fuel pump monitor. Uh, not the exact same voltages that you're going to find on those, but same idea, right? So we've seen this setup before, uh, and I want to know the circuitry if I'm going to get into the checking here. Again, because I checked the power and ground to the driver module, good. I checked the power and ground going from the driver module to the pump. Now, I didn't actually access the pump here because it's in the tank, but right out of the module, it seems fine. Amperage appears to be okay, although I don't know that 100% just yet. Let's check these uh, control and diagnostic circuits just to see what's present on them. Anyways, on the diagnostic circuit, I do have 
zero volts. It actually pulls up to close to battery voltage on key up briefly, and then it drops down to zero, and you never see it jump up again whether the engine's running or not. On the pink wire, which is our duty cycle circuit from the PCM, this wire will also pull high for about two seconds on key up. Then it drops back down to zero until you start the engine. As long as the engine's running, this is at battery voltage the entire time. We do not see any sort of duty cycle on this wire, but a flat, well, I would, I would say it's flat. It's battery voltage. It's fluctuating with battery voltage, but it is constant high all the time. There's no sign of a duty cycle. So I don't know exactly what should be on these wires, but based off of the information of the trouble code, I should be seeing a duty cycle on that pink wire. I don't see it. Now, is this because the code's there? I tried clearing it, didn't really change anything. On the diagnostic wire, it actually does correlate to our situation, right? A low voltage or zero volts on that wire equals the code we have. So as far as the gray wire is concerned, it's where I would expect it to be, um, considering that we have a fault of some sort um, that would cause our code. Uh, now, I did see the uh, on the gray wire, when you cycle the key, you see it jump up to battery voltage and come back down. So it's not like the wire's shorted anywhere, um, but for whatever reason, the fuel pump driver module is not outputting a voltage on that wire and it should be um, if everything is a-okay it said a high diagnostic signal and i actually found later in the service information uh, i'll reference where that is that it should be about 10 volts on this wire with the engine idling if everything is okay per the fuel pump control module and that 10 volts on that diagnostic signal gives the okay okay to the pcm and it does not set a p0627 in that case anyways we got zero volts on there but i want to know why don't i have a duty cycle on the pink wire again clearing codes doesn't change this it is just battery voltage as long as the engine's running on that pink wire so one of the things i'm thinking is is there a potential open between this fuel pump driver module and the pcm right? That we don't have any sort of duty cycle. I'm also wondering where does this 12 volts come from? I mean, is it supposed to be on the circuit? But if it is, where is the 12 volts actually coming from? Is it coming from the fuel pump control module or is it coming from the PCM, right? Is the PCM going to drive this circuit high pulse with modulating to give this fuel pump driver module a duty cycle? Or is the fuel pump driver module going to supply voltage on this wire and the PCM pulls it low. So I have to determine what's going on because it didn't lay this out in service info service info for me, but I'd like to know how the circuit is supposed to function. Um, anyways, there's a connector that I found by looking at the diagram between the fuel pump driver module and the PCM, because I could go to the PCM at this point, I found a connector in the right hand kick panel, which was actually already off. Uh, for where he had removed the remote start. And so I decided to go there first. I'm going to test there. But the other reason I went here, um, again, because I wanted to know the uh, where that 12 volts was coming from, right? Was that coming from my module or is it coming from the PCM? So anyways, I test at this connector for the pink wire, which again is our driver circuit, our duty cycle circuit. Same thing, battery voltage while the vehicle's running at this connector, right-hand kick panel. This is the in-between between the PCM and the driver module. So then I unplug it and I test both sides. 
I want to see where is this battery voltage coming from. It's actually coming from the fuel pump driver module. So I was able to assess here that the high voltage, the battery voltage is coming from the fuel pump control module and the PCM should be pulling it down to ground in a duty cycle fashion or pulse with modulated fashion, right? That's what I should be looking for here, or at least that's what I'm able to ascertain from the circuit. So next step is to go to the PCM, right? Because I don't appear to be having any sort of duty cycle. The PCM does not appear to be pulling this down to ground, whether I clear codes or not, nothing seems to happen on this thing unless you start it. And then the fuel pump driver module supplies 12 volts. And, you know, I'm not 100% here if this is leading towards the code that I have, right? In the code definition, it says that the fuel pump driver module recognizes that the voltage applied to the fuel pump is abnormal. It's going to set this code, but the way that the system works is it needs a duty cycle from the PCM to decide the speed of the fuel pump. And it appears to not have that. So I'm going to follow this. I'm going to see what I can find here. So I get to the PCM and the first thing I notice before anything else is the PCM has yellow writing on it, uh, which generally means when I see that it came from a boneyard. All right. And it doesn't mean anything right away, but it's something to note if you see that, okay, this has been replaced and replaced with a used part. So is there a potential that we could run into issues here because of that? Is it the right PCM is the first thing on my mind. Uh, so that is something that I know. The other thing, and this is where things got started to get a little strange, was when I try to identify a PCM connector a lot of the times, uh, right, because there'll be multiple connectors and a ton of wires on each connector, and you can't always see the wire that you're looking for because it's in the middle of the connector, uh, and as was the case for this pink wire that I'm looking for. I will identify the connector by looking at the first and the last circuit on that connector. And you can do this with a wiring diagram, right? You can look at pin one and let's just say there's 64, pin 64. You can look at the colors and then you can look at the connector and those will be the corners of the connector, right? They'll uh, either, and what side of the connector it's on, uh, of course varies, but let's say pin one is a red wire, right? I'm going to look for one that has a corner and it has a red wire. And this is just one way to do it, right? If you pull up service information, it might show you a picture of the actual connectors and maybe they're all shaped differently. Maybe they'll tell you the color of the connector, like on Chrysler's, maybe they'll show you a picture of the PCM and label them. Again, this is just a quick way for me to identify the connector because I'm looking at a diagram and then I go under the hood and I look at the PCM. Well, again, I'm trying to identify these connectors by the first and the last pins that I see on the diagram and nothing's matching up. I go to the connector pinouts and I'm again looking at the wiring colors. I look at the OE diagrams. I'm looking at the wiring colors. Nothing's matching up. So right at this point, I can't even find the connector that I'm looking for on the PCM because nothing seems to match up. There's three connectors on this PCM and none of them match up to what I'm seeing in service information. The connectors look correct, but the wire colors are not matching up. I try a year before. Same thing, no help. A year above, same thing, no help. I'm like, what What the heck's going on here? I pulled off all three connectors and I was able to locate the pins 
that I was looking for by using the numbers on the connectors and then also just using my own check in continuity mode uh, to verify which ones were connected to that connector under my dash, right? So I've got three connectors there. I find the pin numbers that I'm looking for on the diagram and I match them up using my own meter. So I know, okay, these are the wires I'm looking for. The wires did not match the color in the diagram, but they were connected to the connector under the dash, which under the dash, the colors matched. And according to my diagram, there are no other disconnections between that connector and under the PCM. Now, maybe there is, maybe it's just not listed in the diagram. I don't know, but somehow the wires change color. This is really strange. And there's writing on the PCM at this point. I'm like, I got to stop here because something is really odd. Um, I got to talk to this guy and see what's going on with this. So I call up the guy. I'm like, Hey, there's something weird with this car. Um, can you talk to your brother, the owner of the vehicle and get some more information on this thing? Because I'm kind of chasing my tail on this already, but the wire colors not matching up and a used PCM in this thing uh, really are making me question if there was other things done. Am I not getting the full story? Right. Cause that does happen plenty of the time. He's like, well, I'll talk to him and I'll get back to you. So he calls me back. He says, I talked to him. They talked to the customer. This is a salvage vehicle. Okay. And it was hit in the right front. Um, that's what totaled this vehicle out. And it was, I don't know, reconstructed, um, Frankenstein together one way or another, probably uh, with some harness replacement. I don't know. Obviously, the ECM had been replaced at one point or another. And I'm like, dude, this, I think, is causing some of our problems. And he's like, well, this thing has it's been like that since they bought it a few years ago, and they've never had any issues with it. Like, this has not been an issue. The issue they're having right now was not there until just recently. And he says they were very adamant about that. Like there's, there was nothing, I shouldn't say nothing, but there was nothing resembling this issue prior. So it's not like it's just the wrong PCM or the wrong harness. This thing was functioning, but this adds a layer of complexity to try to figure this thing out. Um, and I'm thinking personally, okay, well either, yeah, just wrong or bad PCM, um, cause we don't seem to have that duty cycle that we're looking for, but I do need to confirm this somehow or another, right? I got to link this back to what's going on with the engine and the low rail pressure. Um, I need to make sure there's not something else I'm missing here. So I tell them I'll, I'll do a few more checks here and I'll try to get an answer for him, uh, so that we can move forward with this thing. So my thought here is what if I can simulate the duty cycle on that pink wire and just see what happens. Does that fix all of our problems here? And then that would allow me to prove out my PCM barring some power and ground checks to the PCM, right? So I do that. Um, I've got a signal generator and there's a few different tools that you can use for this, but I have a signal generator and started it up, have everything back connected together. And I go onto that pink wire and I produce a duty cycle and I can adjust it to get a certain um, pulse width on that. And by doing that, I was able to make the fuel pump driver control module happy. And on that diagnostic wire, the gray wire, I was able to get my 10 volts while the engine was running, which is the AOK from the fuel pump driver module, seeing, hey, we got everything we need. So it proves out a few things to me. It proves out the PCM should be pulse width modulating, 
this signal in order to make the fuel pump driver happy. There should be 10 volts output on the diagnostic signal when it's happy. My connections are all good from the PCM all the way to fuel pump driver module on the control wire. I should mention I was back probed at the PCM and the diagnostic wires all the way is good all the way back to the PCM, right? That gray wire is connected from the driver circuit to the PCM because now once I do that, the P0627 goes away, right? I clear it. It does not come back as long as I'm providing a duty cycle on the driver circuit for that fuel pump driver module. It's happy. And it gave it the AOK and the PCM turned off the P0627. But I leave it run and I still can't drive this thing. I tried uh, putting it in a drive and accelerating it and exact same thing. And I set my P0087 low rail pressure. And I tried this a few more times, same thing. My 627 is gone as long as I'm adding that signal, but my 0087 sets again. And at this point, things are kind of coming together for me here. Well, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. I'm adding things up in my head and it's not all making sense for what I've been chasing, right? And let me, let me try to explain this. My initial problem that I saw right away that the codes indicated was low rail pressure. And I had mistakenly assumed because that 627 was in there that the computer was commanding low rail pressure. But as it turns out, that's not a thing. Um, I, I did see the desired pressure drop, but only after the P0087 set. And this was the case after I had gotten rid of the 627, same thing. Desired pressure actually drops down once the code's set. If you cycle the key and start the engine back up, guess what? It wants that 500 again until it goes into the fault state. But we are still not able to make high fuel pressure. Now, this got me thinking too, well, what have I been chasing all this time? What does that 627 have to do with it? And this is where I dug into service information just a little bit more because I had to understand. I was, I was honestly really confused at this point. And maybe I'm confusing you. But that's where I was at at this point. Like, what's going on here? Why do I still have low rail pressure? If you go into the fuel system control description and operation and service information, it actually lays out more information on this system. Gives you some voltage ranges that you would expect to see on the driver signal. Explains the diagnosis circuit. But it also says a key piece of information here. When the 627 sets... When the diagnostic line is low, meaning fuel pump driver module has a problem, you will see that battery voltage on that control signal. And this indicates to the fuel pump driver module to run the fuel pump at full speed. And it even says in this description operation to keep the engine from being damaged. So that would mean to me if 627 was set, we should have the highest low side pressure possible. Now, again, I'm thinking in my head, well, okay, I did see the fuel pump amperage was up around eight, which again, I didn't know at the time was good or not, but that meant the fuel pump was probably running good. And I did see 90 PSI on the high side. I'm like, I was just assuming there was something wrong with the low side pressure on this thing. And that's why we had our problems, but I never checked the low side pressure. 
And so now I'm thinking, okay, well, I need to check the low side pressure. And I did. You have to T and a gauge to this thing to check it. And it's fine. Uh, spec is 57 to 64 PSI. That's what I had. Um, I checked it closer to the engine, so it was bouncing all over the place because the high-pressure fuel pump, and that's normal. But I did have my 60-plus PSI of fuel pressure on the low side. So, again, I'm back to why can't I build high-side pressure? Even if I get that 627 to go away, I still can't. And now I'm finding by reading more in the service information, that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't keep me from building high side pressure. Uh, Again, I go back to validating myself. And in the P0087, it says, make sure this code isn't there. But I proved out here, it doesn't matter whether that code's there or not. And so at this time, I'm pretty frustrated. I need, I know I need to go to the high side of the system, um, but the high side fuel pump is underneath the intake. You can't get to the connector. There's a injector driver module behind the intake that drives this thing. You can't get to that either. And at this point I'd spend a lot of time on this car. So I'm like, I'm going to walk away. And that's one thing I suggest to anybody that's really frustrated and just lost and just, they don't know what direction to go. Take a step away from the vehicle for a while, whether it's mechanical or diagnostic. And so much of the time, you come back to it and it works the first try. I tried, this was a leashy the other day. I got my butt kicked. I leashied a lock and I was able to pick it and I tried decoding it and I cut like four bad keys and I was out of time at that particular shop. So I'm like, Hey, I got to go. I'll come back later. We'll finish this up. I come back and I get it the first try. Right. And that's just, I don't know what it is exactly. Your mind's just in a different state. Um, but so much of the time, when I'm in that situation, okay, I'm going to move on. I'm going to think about this regroup. I'll come back and we'll get some better direction here. Um, and I'm still thinking I'm stuck on the, the harness potentially being wrong, the PCM being wrong. Um, but I need to be able to prove it out to tell them this is the component you got to replace. So anyways, later that night, I happened to be on the phone with Fonslow and we were talking about some other stuff, but I was ta- telling him about this car and where I was at with it, right? That, okay, I need to address the high side of the system now and figure out what's going on there, even though there's something to do with this um, duty cycle circuit. And he asked me, he's like, well, is the timing off? And I was like, well, yeah, that's probably one of the things I need to check, but I go look at the pump and I go look at this wrong PCM and the harness and all this stuff. Um, but that is one of the things that, yes, I do need to check the timing because the camshaft timing or the camshaft is what's going to drive the high pressure fuel pump, right? There's a lobe on the back of the camshaft, drives the pump, which creates the pressure for the high side. And if you've dealt with GDI vehicles, you should know that if the cam timing is off, specifically for the cam that drives the high pressure fuel pump, that will affect the fuel pressure, right? Because the computer is timing the solenoid, you could call it a fuel pressure regulator or the fuel pressure pump solenoid. It's it's the regulator. It controls the pressure, right? It's basically the intake valve, if you will, for the high pressure fuel pump. It's going to time that with engine rotation, right? Because it has to time it with when that lobe is pushing the fuel pump up. And when it opens and closes that solenoid or that regulator on the pump determines how much pressure is built, right? I found out these GDI vehicles... Um, they can make max pressure, like 
as much pressure as they can at idle. It doesn't take a whole lot of rotational speed to make the max amount of fuel pressure, right? Um, we did this in the college. We'd unplug the fuel pump regulator on a Cadillac 3.6 GDI and the thing would just scream. And it's a really good indication that you got an open circuit on a fuel pump regulator circuit on a GM. Uh, now, not all of them do this. Some are you know, normally open, some are normally closed. Fords, for instance, the Fusion, um, if you unplug them, they will go to the lowest possible state. And that also has to do with um, the solenoids normal state, normal, open or closed. Um, but on the GMs anyways, that's what happens when you unplug them. They go to max. Anyways, the key is here is the timing of that solenoid it's going to be timed to engine rotation. And the computer is going to be using crankshaft rotation because it's much more specific in placement than a camshaft. And it can time the solenoid operation to open and close at the right time so we build the right amount of pressure. And if the camshaft is off, we're not going to be hitting that solenoid at the right time and we're not going to build the pressure. Right? Everything could be right with the pump and the solenoid and all that stuff, but we can't build the pressure we want because we're not timing that solenoid with the position of the lobes on the camshaft. Okay, so this is definitely one of the things I need to check along with other things. Doesn't mean that's what it is, but yeah, definitely something I could check. And it was the first thing that Matt said, is the timing off? So I get back to this vehicle the next day um, and I decide to check that first. I mean, it's definitely in my brain, but it's also the easiest check to make on this because, again, you can't get to this pump and the connector. You have to pull the intake to get to it. Um, the timing, however, on this 3.5 is no different than the other 3.5s, the port injected ones. There's two rubber plugs on each cam rocket, the front and the rear bank, and then there's marks on the crankshaft. And it's super, super. You can check timing on this thing in five minutes if you want a flashlight and a mirror. So I do this. Well... The back head is off. Okay. Right. So we have a front head and we have a back head. Or if you um, were standing behind the engine, there would be a right and a left head. This would be the right cylinder head or the rear cylinder head if you're looking at it in the vehicle. This drives the high pressure fuel pump and the timing is off. The timing belt has jumped a few teeth here on this back head. So the timing is off. So that would fully explain why we're not building the correct fuel pressure. It does explain my P0087, not my 627. And again, I'm a little confused here. I talk to the technician. I'm like, hey, the timing's off. I'm sure of it. We just, I show him. Here's, look at the marks. They're, this is off. This needs to be fixed. And I was like, you got to fix this and then you got to call me and then we'll go from there. And I was like, I don't think it's going to fix the 627, but I also don't think this 627 code is causing any of the issues that you're having here, not being able to drive the vehicle. I think that 627 being in there, the vehicle's probably completely drivable. It's probably been in there the whole time. They probably had a check engine light. Heck, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't even turn on the check engine light. It, it, it does. But um, I was like, fix this timing and call me. Uh, that's what we've got to do here before we move any forward on this anymore. So he fixes the timing. About a week later, he calls me, says, hey, yeah, this thing's back to running great. And the check engine light's on, but it runs great. And they're happy. This is what they want. This is the problem they were trying to fix, right? So all in all, the 627 that was in there was pre-existing. That was there before, probably there as long as they've had the vehicle after this harness and PCM 
it, thing had been done to it. Again, I don't know what I asked him. Do you want me to pursue this anymore? He said, no, we're not going to pay you. We don't want to pay you anymore for that because they don't care about that. They just wanted it to run. And we, we fixed the timing. So that part of it's good. And I don't know, maybe they'll put a remote start back in there. Okay, whatever. But the reason I wanted to go through this here is because we can really get sucked in to the wrong thing or thinking you know, something that we're chasing is causing the overall problem. Are we thinking two issues are related when they're completely unrelated? And you could easily, easily believe that one issue is causing the other or one issue is related to the other when in this case they weren't. Uh, I mean, same, same systems, but not causing the issue that we were trying to fix. And that's the tough thing about cars nowadays. Um, you know, so many overlapping systems, so many different trouble codes that we can set so many vehicles that maybe you've never touched before and you don't know the default strategy and then you throw some you know some salvage um hacked together used part replacements you throw all that on top of everything else and it definitely makes for a challenging diagnosis but anyways I think a few of the takeaways here is, number one, read the service information as fully and completely as possible right off the get-go. Um, I think maybe, maybe I could have made a quicker call or gotten to it faster had I read all of the service information. Had I read that in the default state for a 627, low fuel pressure is high, and maybe I would have checked low side fuel pressure right away and gone to the high side quicker rather than wasting my time with the 627 but reading the service information was key for that actually going into the description operation not just reading the code info don't be afraid to reach out for some help and talk to people even if it's just bouncing ideas off of people uh sometimes they're gonna point you in the right direction um like matt definitely did for me here make sure you are getting all of the information and just grill these people. Uh, I think you hear me say this a lot on the podcast and I keep running into it and I keep not getting all of the information that I want. It's, it's just like a regular thing for me. Um, and I'm constantly trying to create ways to just squeeze that information out of people better than I have in the past. And I keep running into it, but just always keep that top of mind. Like, Hey, maybe there's some more information here that I don't have that I'm not getting. There's a more to this story that's being presented to me. That should always be in the back of your head and should be working towards that in every interaction that you have with the owner, the vehicle or the driver of the vehicle. But anyways, that's all I got for you today. Thanks for listening. Hopefully that wasn't too much rambling and you learned something from it. But other than that, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.